Hi, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. In this episode, we are talking about birth plans. This is very relevant for you, of course, if you're pregnant or if you're planning on becoming pregnant in the near future. And of course, if you know anyone who's pregnant, why not forward this on to them? Birth plans are very popular, and I wanted to spend a bit of time investigating the birth plan a little further. I think there can be some mixed messages and mixed ideas around what a birth plan is for and what purpose it serves. A lot of my clients choose to do a birth plan, and I certainly discuss it with all of my clients, both in clinic and my doula clients. And a birth plan isn't right for everybody. But I wanted to discuss what a birth plan is, and I thought, what better way to do that than to actually have a conversation with a midwife? So I've brought on Jennifer Hassey, who is a midwife here in Sydney, and it turns out that she really enjoys talking about birth plans too. And what I think is interesting is to get the insight of how does the medical staff in the hospital, so the midwives, the doctors and nurses, how do they view a birth plan? Because when it comes down to it, when you're pregnant and you're giving birth, you have a team around you that is there to support you and nurture you and guide you through the process of birth and labor and meeting your baby. So wouldn't it be ideal to actually understand how does the medical staff view a birth plan? Now, in my opinion, I think that birth plans are very helpful and useful as a tool for you as the individual woman and for you as a couple to investigate the different outcomes, the different situations that can arise in labor. So it's more as a tool to work through the different ways labor can unfold. Because it, the more prepared you are and the more informed you are, chances are you're going to stay more level-headed and, um, and not be as surprised by the different events that can, that can happen in labor. I'm really excited to introduce you to Jennifer Hassey. She's a mother of five. She's a midwife and a childbirth educator. She's very passionate about women and really encouraging them to be the center of the maternity care. And she absolutely loves working with women and their family from conception to infancy. Jennifer facilitates childbirth education from North Bondi in Sydney. She does this both in person and online. Jennifer hosts a regular space for women to attend throughout their pregnancy. This space is called Circles of Women. This is a blend of birth and parenting education. It's also community and encourages connection with other women. Most recently, she has partnered with an experienced midwife and doulas as a co-founder of WeBirth, which is advanced training for doulas and birth workers. They're very passionate about educating doulas and supporting them through their education and also offer the highest standard of care for women and their families. Jennifer lives in Sydney with her husband, daughters and her dog, Princess. All right, I will not hold you up any longer. Welcome to Jennifer. So welcome, Jennifer. I will call you Jen because we know each other very well. But thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you here. You're such a delight. And um, I just love what you're doing as a beautiful midwife oh, and educator, of course. 
Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just, yeah, really, really excited. Oh, good. Well, I just wanted um, to hear a little bit more about you. I have made an introduction to you, of course. So everyone knows who you are and what you do. But I would love to hear a little bit more about your midwifery journey and uh, how you got there. I mean, I don't know if it's interesting, but I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is me coming off um, a very long night. So forgive me if I'm rambling a little. Um, so I... I said, I mean, essentially, uh, had my first daughter when I was 21 and I am very fortunate to come from a family, um, peppered with midwives. And I think I always just thought it was such a remarkable thing to do with your life. Um, that I always just felt a little bit intimidated by it. Actually. I think for some reason it never really crossed my mind that it was something I'd be able to do. And then I, so I fell pregnant with my first daughter when I was 21 and I just found, um, I was very, very anxious. Um, I, I think I was probably similar to a lot of people having their first baby. Um, I just had been flooded with really negative, um, stories in the media and growing up. And I remember, acutely from a very young age that anytime someone would talk about birth, it was always in terms of the worst possible pain. And so I think I just had in mind it was going to be this horrendous experience. And I remember walking into my midwife when I was 12 weeks pregnant saying, I'll have a general and I'll have a cesarean section, please. You know, wake me up when it's over. And I remember her like thankfully just kind of laughing a little bit <laughs> and saying, um, no. <laughs> That's not you're, what you're having. <laughs> you're really young and healthy and you'll just have a baby. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, I got to about halfway through my pregnancy and my platelets dropped quite significantly and I was told that I was no longer a candidate for an epidural. And I think <laughs> there was just this moment of like looking at my belly thinking, this baby is – it's coming out and I, <laughs> I'm going to have to be present for this. And, um, it was a bit, it was, I mean, looking back, it was just such an amazing formative experience because it really forced me to go and learn. And what I found was as I started learning, first I was just fascinated by the body, you know, just this really intricate dance between a mom and her baby. Um, and just that relationship that starts in pregnancy. Um, and then, eventually I wasn't so afraid and, and it was really amazing. And what happened in the end is my platelets kind of lifted up again and they said, you know, you can have all the drugs you like. And I thought, well, I've done all this work. Let's see what that's about. And I was very fortunate to have my aunt with me who has been a midwife forever and ever and ever. And she was the most fantastic support. So every time I thought I can't do this any longer, <laughs> she'd just look at me and say, you're doing great. And I'd go, oh, I must be doing great. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> and then I had a baby. <laughs> and I remember holding my baby in my arms and thinking, people have to know that this isn't so bad. I didn't realize until that point, you know, it was the hardest work I've ever done, but it was just really positive and um, I had just such a fantastic experience. Um, that I went on to have four more children and <laughs> and I that's how I started learning about midwifery and the learning I think was really fascinating I think I just really enjoyed just I just find it fascinating I guess just the, just understanding how the body works yeah yeah and it's probably one of those times in life when it comes to understanding the body where there is so much happening it is so out of this world in so many ways I agree it's very fascinating to learn about the birth yeah I think pregnancy. it's amazing. 
Yeah. And and the relationship between the mother and the child, you know, that you think that you're these two separate entities. Um, but but you're not. You're just so linked intrinsically. It's really yeah, I think it's quite magical. Yes, it is. And thank goodness we have you there in the hospital, you know, <laughs> spreading the words of magic. <laughs> I'm just very lucky. Yeah. And so today we wanted to talk about the birth plan. Yeah. 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 Because it is such a um such a common thing nowadays to have a birth plan and there's also a little bit of You know, I find some of my clients and some women will say, oh, I don't want to have a birth plan because I don't want to set myself up for something bad to happen. Or if it doesn't go according to plan, I will feel like, you know, I didn't go according to my plan and that's a negative. So yeah. I thought we should talk about it because you're in there doing your midwifery thing, seeing birth plans, pretty sh I'm sure every day when you're there. So <laughs> let's just get it down to the nitty gritty of these birth plans. But first, yeah. I wanted to understand when did we start writing birth plans? Where did When did this thing start? Ah, so it's actually quite interesting. Um, an amazing woman called um, Sheila Kitzinger, she just used to study birth in all different cultures and amongst people. And she was quite formative in um, a lot of really revolutionary things in, in maternity care. So around the time that she was writing in about the 70s was when partners were still not even allowed in the birthing room. And it was a time when women were routinely separated from their babies. Um, a lot of things were done to them without their consent or their knowledge. Um, and it was a really quite a dark time in terms of maternity care. Um, and she really pioneered this concept of women actually having opinions and thoughts and um, putting them down on paper and opening up discussions that eventually obviously led the way for modern maternity care, which we understand is women-centered care and the idea that in the middle of all the decision-making should be the woman and her thoughts and feelings and um, cultural background and spiritual beliefs, as well as her like physical health and mental health. Mm, okay. And so was she the one that said, write it down or did she start writing it down? How was the beginning of it? Um, so she has papers and essays and books basically on birth plans that she started to produce. She worked with women to start writing birth plans. Um, and she was also just very vocal, um, at the time and would work in a lot of different capacities to kind of advocate for women in those spaces. And that's really the time when as a, as a movement, women started to, I guess, um, put themselves front and center in, in terms of all the birthing decisions, um, you know, like contextually at the time, like we had quite obviously obstetric led care. So we had, you know, really at the center of everything was, was what's comfortable for the doctor. You know, the idea that women birth on a bed, I mean, most women instinctively would just never climb on a bed to give birth. Um, the reason we do that is so it's more comfortable for the doctor because they don't have to bend and hurt their back. Um, not really taking into account what might be more comfortable for the woman who's actually giving birth. <laughs> um, and so she was really able to start to come in and, and, and that's when we started writing them down. I don't think at that time they were quite as in depth as maybe they are at the moment. Um, it might have just been one or two particular strong needs that women had. Um, and I think they've just evolved and developed like like we have. 
Mm, yeah, beautiful. Thank goodness for her, hey? Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, you touched on it briefly, but what is the purpose of the birth plan for women listening that are considering writing one or maybe not writing one? What is the purpose? So I would say for um, modern women in Western cultures, um, a birth plan can serve a few really important purposes. So, um, and I guess depending on where women are coming from, that some of these purposes might be more relevant. Firstly, I think um, it really is a tool for women to actually start to understand the culture that they're stepping into. And like every culture, there are norms and behaviors and there's language and you know if we're if we're not living in that culture in day to day like I am as a midwife or a doctor is you kind of come in and go well, what's a VE and what's a sweep and you know there's a lot of different things that you're offered in your pregnancy or during your labor or when you have a brand new baby that you've just never even heard of before so coming into all those decisions Ideally, you, you can be a part of that decision-making process, but how can you be a part of that decision-making process if you don't really know what's going on? So I think firstly, it starts to give you a, a lot more guidance, I guess, to the sorts of things you might want to think about through your pregnancy. And for some women, that's enough. For some women, that's um, as that's the use that their birth plan serves is giving them sort of a template or a roadmap to be able to think about well, here's, you know, 20 things or 30 things that I need to think about at some point during my pregnancy. And I guess the other thing that's really important is using it as a communication tool. So um, at the moment, for the majority of women giving birth in Australia, um, we see more than one person looking after us throughout pregnancy, birth and postpartum. And for a lot of women, that, that can be, um, multiple people um, and, and for some women it's, it's a different person every single time um, and so having um, a document or having a working document really um, that helps you communicate the things that you've decided are really important to you um, with all the different people in your care it can just really help streamline that process and I guess give you maybe a bit more of a voice in those spaces where Uh, it can become very overwhelming. You know, if you're seeing a new doctor or a new midwife every single time, it, it can be quite easy to get a bit um, engulfed in that and a bit overwhelmed. Um, and, yeah, so that can be useful in those circumstances. So for a woman who is seeing several different midwives or doctors during their pregnancy for checkups, would they then essentially have written a birth plan that is that stays in their file in the hospital or wherever they see their caregivers and then the caregiver then have a look at that form before they have the meeting is that the is that what you're meaning is that what they well, would do yeah so i guess and, and i you know i guess the thing with birth plans is really you'll if you go googling tomorrow you'll find a thousand different ways to do them so i i guess i have what i like and how i like them used but it doesn't mean that that's the only way they can be useful Personally, I think that women in an ideal world will, from the early parts of their pregnancy, start to just note-take. I have a, a brainstorming sort of kit, which is about six pages, and that I give women quite regularly and you can get on my website, that um, it literally just has headings. And the idea is that as, you know, one of them might be, you know, what I'm wearing during my labor, one of them might be um, positions that I'm pushing in. And it's 
it's very neutral. The idea is you just start to kind of write down things as you think about them or as you learn about them. And then ideally, you know, as your pregnancy progresses and your information grows and you start to kind of sort that information out. Pam England, actually, she uh, wrote Birthing from Within. She talks a lot about archetypes in childbirth and um, I really, really like this idea and I think it makes a lot of sense with birth plans. And she talks about in pregnancy that we're – we're the gatherer archetype and our, our, the work of pregnancy is to gather all this information in. But there's this second stage that doesn't always happen in pregnancy, which is once we've gathered all that information, our job is to start sorting it. You know, we don't, not everything we get told is good information, unfortunately, you know. And I think particularly at the moment in this modern climate, you get so much information. I think quite a bit of information overload. You know, every time you're on Facebook, there's something going on or Instagram, someone's posting something. And that can be fantastic because it can really inspire a lot of thought. But I guess the really, really big important part of the birth plan process is to sit with those thoughts and just start to digest it and start kind of thinking, okay, I've heard 10 different things about episiotomy. What, what do I really think about this and what does that mean for me? Um, and that might be thinking, what's the evidence say? Is it really a good idea? Is it really going to help me? Is it going to be healthier? Is it going to be easier? Um, who's told me that information? How reliable is that information? Is there other information that I need to know to make that decision? Um, and you might find that as that process goes on, you have, you know, 50 things you want to think about and then they – they start to get whittled down into like five or six things that are really, really important to you or, you know, maybe one or two things that you think um, you really don't care about but then there's a whole bunch of things that you do. And then with that information, hopefully you're going to your care provider and you're starting to have a bit more of a conversation. What can happen often is these seemingly small decisions don't really get touched on until the moment. And so I guess it gives you a chance to actually talk about things that mean a lot to you um, in a time that's really not um, highly stressful, in a time when you're not in maybe discomfort, um, when there's, you know, you're in a high stress scenario, I guess, when you're in labor. So this gives you the chance to sit down with all the information and have a really calm conversation with the person who's talking, who's looking after you in labor. You're so much about inspiring the woman to be informed and educated. And actually, as you're saying, all that information that we're being fed from left, right and center and often very conflicting advice, I think, from one caregiver to the next, that they actually take it all and put it in a basket and then sit with it and find their own truth within all that. And um, I love that because there isn't just one way, is there? It's really about... um, each woman and each couple investigating what is true to them, what is what are they comfortable with and what are their wishes for this experience. Um, and I think that really rings in, in what you're saying is that it's not just write a plan, this is what you want, but actually don't just take whatever you're hearing or reading or seeing mm. as that is the only way, but really go in deep within yourself and find out what is what is it that you would like as a template or a plan or a, a roadmap. Absolutely. And I think the big thing that comes up quite a lot, I guess, um, is, is birth players that say, you know, 
Um, I'd like to labor like this. You know, this is my idea about how I'm going to labor and I'm going to have music on and it's going to be nice. Or they'll say, you know, I really want to have a natural birth or I really want to avoid forceps delivery. And that's great. Like, you know, visualizing those things and having really strong ideas about what you like. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not going to harm anybody to have an idea about how they want to labor. But what I think is far more, I guess, um, impactful is if you think, well, if I'd like to avoid, for example, a forceps delivery, how am I going to do that? What are the things and what are the tools that I need to make that more likely to happen? And it's not, it's not kind of a choose your own adventure. (laughs) We don't necessarily get to decide on the outcomes, but, um, and I think you touched on it earlier when you were saying, you know, this idea of, um, birth plans are useless because you can't plan birth. Um, and that's just rubbish because that's what modern <laughs> medical research is. Modern modern research is kind of saying if we do this thing to this group of women and this thing to that group of women, which is going to give us, you know, a, a more likely outcome or the outcome that we're aiming for. And so what we've done as medical professionals over the last at least 50 plus years is we've, we've basically tried to hedge our bets. You know, we've tried to sort of minimize, um, for, for example, say instrumental deliveries like a forceps delivery. And we've looked into all the different factors that might impact on that. And so we can kind of say in a general population that might be more likely to happen. You, a woman may be more likely to experience a forceps delivery if, for example, it's her first baby and she has an epidural. We know that women having their first baby and having an epidural, they have an increased chance of that happening to them. Does it mean that every woman having her first baby having an epidural is going to have an instrumental delivery? Of course not. Um, and does it mean that every woman who doesn't have an epidural um, you know, we'll avoid that. Not necessarily, but we know that if you want to start, you know, kind of stacking the odds in your favor, there are things that we can look at that are going to make that more likely. Yeah. So it's actually, you know, doing the puzzle backwards. I don't want this, or I want to avoid this outcome. What are the steps to take to try and prevent that? I guess what I've seen with some birth plans that you can find online is they kind of become this, I'd rather have this or that, you know, I'd rather choose this birth versus that birth. I see really commonly women saying, if it comes down to what I'd rather have a vacuum delivery and not a forceps, it's just because we're on that topic. It's just made me think about it. Um, and I guess that's just really oversimplifying things because then we come down to like really clinical, clinical decisions. So if that's something you're feeling really strongly about, maybe it's something you've heard and you think, well, hold on a second. If it does come down to that, I really want to have this versus that. That would be something I would say, take it to your care provider and have a chat about that and have a chat about how do they make those decisions? Do you feel comfortable with that? Is that enough information for you? Or do you need to know now go and find a bit more information, um, you know, to, to, I guess, fill out those bits of the puzzle? I think it's such a good point because sometimes it can sound like when I talk birth plans with my clients, like it's a menu and they sort of yeah. they choose from a menu of what type of outcome they want. And I'm like, oh no, that yeah. it doesn't quite work that way. But I think that makes perfect sense. If there are some things that are really seems frightening to a woman or some things she really wants to avoid, have the conversation and really understand why a certain thing might happen and um, what can be done. So yeah, it comes down to education always, doesn't it? I know. And, and I think it can be really overwhelming. I, th- I think definitely 
thinking about all these different things. I mean, what do we, what do most people want? They want to feel good. They want to have a healthy baby and they want to come out of it on the other side, strong and mothering to the best of their ability. I guess that would be a very general sort of plan for most people. But, you know, what does that look like for an individual? I guess it can be very different. You know, what, what do I need to mother in the way that I choose to mother and what does someone else need? That might be different, you know? Yeah. Of course, yeah. it's so individual. And yeah. how do you, as a midwife, feel when you see a birth plan in the file file outside the door? <laughs> it really depends on the plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is good information. We need to know this because we need to write one that you like. <laughs> so I tell you what, if I see someone um, with a birth plan that is five pages long and it's got every single possible outcome, I'm... I'm a bit unsure about how much information that woman actually has, particularly things that when it comes to policies. So um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Oh, so I see a lot of American sort of birth plan templates that Australian women download and use and start to look at. And there's often um, a part about not giving eye drops. And in oh, Australia, yeah. we don't really do that. Yeah, true. So if I see a birth plan that says don't give my baby eye drops, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to give my baby eye drops. But I'm kind of going, well, I'm not sure how much she knows about what is normal here and what usually happens here. That kind of feels a bit like uh, I might need to come and sit down and have a bit more of a conversation, open up a bit more about, you know, what are her thoughts and preferences. It feels a bit generic. And it's just a bit hard for me to then know how to help her in the best way possible. So for me, if I see a birth plan that has, usually it's like about a page long. Um, there's a few really big points um, that I know this woman is very personalized. I know it's about her or her partner or whoever's around her supporting her. I feel like, okay, now you've given me some really concrete ways to be able to help you achieve what you want. And that's really what, what we want to do. I really like to speak to women about any birth plans that they talk about. In my practice, I really try to make time to have that conversation anyway. Um, but I'm really conscious that it's sometimes very, very busy. Sometimes you're coming on shift and there's You know, people running everywhere can get a bit busy at times um, and you don't always have time to slow down and have those really lovely long like kind of conversations. So if I see that someone's written a few kind of crib notes and they're really specific, it's, it is it is a bit easier to kind of get my head around, okay, how can I help you the best way that you need, you need help? Um, This is yeah. great information because – Which is also, I guess, makes sense that if it is busy, which it very often is in the labor ward, <laughs> um, that, you know, keep it keep it simple, but very personal so that if there's a midwife changeover or that that's this is what I recommend, basically, is that see it as the midwife or the doctor that is going to care for you. How can they best possible understand you uh, from this piece of paper? How can they what are the, you know, maybe the emotional needs that you have or um ways that you would like them to be around you or whatever so that they understand who you are as a person rather than, as you say, the eye drops or the forceps or whatever else, or avoid a C-section if if at all possible, which is general practice anyways. Um, I <laughs> yeah. think sometimes it's nicer, I imagine, but correct me if I'm wrong, if you could very quickly see, okay, this person has a specific religion or it has a, you know, don't like this word to be used or something like that. Yes. So you can check yeah. in with that person quickly. 
Yeah, I do find absolutely, and I do find it very helpful if women have thought about. Not everyone knows. I mean, like I said, from my experience, I didn't really know what I was going to do until I went into labor. But some women have very strong ideas about not wanting to use pain relief or wanting to use pain relief. It's often very strong feelings one way or the other. Um, and it, it is kind of nice for me to know because we're, you know, we're trying to build rapport with you really quickly. If I've just met you and you're laboring, I'm really aware that I, I haven't met you outside of that context. So your behavior might be a little different to how it usually is. If I have, um, you know, taking care of a woman who has a really clear birth plan and it says I'm, I'm trying to avoid using like drugs and pain relief. Um, these are the things that I'm going to use to try and help me with my labor. Can you please assist me with that? I know then that if, you know, when we get to that kind of pointy end <laughs> for, for a lot of women, there's this experience of like, Oh, I've changed my mind. I want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's great. That's usually when we're getting out the, you know, delivery pack and turning all the lights and getting ready to greet a baby. Um, but it does, help me then to know how I can support her really effectively. So if I have someone who says on their birth plan, I'm open to using anything and she turns to me at some point in her labor and says, let's talk. We need to, we need to talk about some drugs here. <laughs> okay, great. That's fantastic. You've, you're really, that's really consistent with what you've told me about yourself. Whereas if you're someone who's trying to avoid that, I might then go, well, your birth plan has said <laughs> um, that that's not what you like. Would you like me to help you, A, you know, A, B, and C, or is that something you, you definitely want to do right now? And I guess try and open up the conversation a bit more so I can really help you in the way that you want to be helped, you know, because when we're uncomfortable, we often shout out for help, but help doesn't necessarily mean drugs. Help can be a lot of different things. So, um, yeah, it helps me to be confident then to be able to help you in that way because I, I, this is just a personal thing, but I, I do see on Facebook and hear things about midwives not giving drugs and I'm like, you can have anything. <laughs> I'm happy to give you anything you like. But, you know, I want to know that that's, that's the way you want me to help you, you know, and I don't ever want to hold back um, giving to women um, in the way that they want to be helped. So, mm. yeah. I was just, this made me just think of um, a birth of that, uh, I think it was last year, and um, she had specifically really wanted to avoid a C-section, which as you know, it's common to be on yeah. a birth plan. And she had really specified that that is not what she wanted. It had to really be an emergency. And of course, and then she had said all other options were okay in regards to pain relief and so on. And so um, when it came to that pointy end, as you just mentioned, um, <laughs> you know, the midwife had looked at the form and they knew that she really obviously didn't want to see section things were going smoothly and all was fine. But she was in transition. It was it was heavy duty stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so in her head, suddenly, as she was in the bath, she suddenly went, I need something. You need to do something about this. This is not OK. I'm not happy to go on, as you know. <laughs> and uh, we all sort of just tried to help her even more and make some suggestions. And we were all very gentle and it was all very sweet. <laughs> and, and after maybe 20 minutes of her just not like, you have to do something, you have to do something. The yeah. midwife sort of said, look, you know, you're doing really well. Keep going as you're going. We're here to support you. And then my client said, give me a C-section. And the <laughs> midwife started laughing. She's like, but you said on your birth plan, you don't want that. So let's not talk about that because you don't need it. And she's like, no, make it happen. <laughs> and it was such a funny situation where the midwife had seen it and didn't 
want to talk to her about it because it was not at all necessary. But in my client's head, she was like, the only way this baby can come out is via C-section. So scrap the birth plan. (laughs) It was very sweet. I I definitely have had my share of women um, negotiating with me, (laughs) cesarean sections, um, you know, like all sorts (laughs) of different things they'd like to do right now. But I've done it myself. I I remember laboring with my twins and I was very fortunate to have um, an amazing midwife um, who supported me through quite a few of my babies who knew me very, very well. So, you know, all that kind of stuff was I guess, you know, assured. And I got fully dressed in my labor and <laughs> I told her, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going home. <laughs> and she just looked at me in the way that wonderful midwives do and just said, oh, I think I said to her, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not working, but it hurts a lot. And I'm not even in labor. <laughs> Which, you know, looking at it through midwife's eyes is insane. But she, she just... <laughs> She just gently looked at me and said, oh, um, you're looking a little different to when you first got here. <laughs> and um, I turned around and pushed the baby out about 30 seconds later. So, <laughs> Classic. you know, <laughs> we do we do sometimes uh, just <laughs> gently hold back the tide when we're when you're um, <laughs> wanting to do some crazy stuff like go home when you're about to push a baby out. <laughs> you should have had that on your plan. Don't <laughs> allow me to go home when I'm about to push out a baby. <laughs> I was dressed. I was halfway out the door. <laughs> That oh, sounds about right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so that definitely is a really helpful thing. The other thing that I'll say is um, really, really, really helpful for some women with birth plans is once you've kind of gone through that process of figuring out, you know, all your bits and pieces and what really matters to you, if something's come up that, I guess I'm trying to think of an example, but let's say something comes up that is really, really important to you and you have this conversation with your care provider, whether it's doctor or midwife or whoever, um, and you say to them, you know, this is really important to me, and they say to you, oh, that's not policy. Our policy is to do X, Y, and Z. So often the sort of things that come up are like continuous monitoring or episiotomies or, you know, these sorts of things. Um, that women might say they don't they don't want to have or they do want to have during their labour. Birth plans are like almost essential in those moments because what that means is if you're, I guess, opting for care outside of policy, which is totally fine to do, policies aren't the law, they're just the idea that in a general population this will benefit the most people. But you're not most people, you're one person, so it's okay if you do things a bit differently. Um what will often happen in those cases is you'll have a, potentially a few conversations with a few different care providers, depending on if you're birthing in the public or the private system. Um, and it might be that you have some um, actual notes written in your clinical notes. So you'll have like what's called an obstetric birth plan. And so what that might mean is either meeting with a midwife or meeting with an obstetrician, talking over your preferences talking over the reasons why you're choosing that. Um, I guess on their end, it's making sure that you're fully informed and making a really conscious and informed decision. Um, And I guess in some ways discharging their responsibility, I guess, legally and things like that as well. Um, 
and then you might have that actually written in your notes, like your clinical notes, but you also would write that in your birth plan and you would say, you know, I've had this discussion with this doctor or I've had this discussion with this midwife. I'm aware of X, Y, and Z, and this is my choice. That can be a really powerful thing for you when you're going into birthing because we know that, you know, during your birthing time, we want to be as calm and as you know, relaxed as we can and we want to have all the positive things around us and all the good feelings so that oxytocin can fly. And we know that adrenaline and fear and stress and talking even can block, you know, oxytocin production. Um, and so if you've had all of those negative kind of fear-filled conversations already, you can kind of go, look, I've talked about it. Here's my birth plan. You can have a look in the notes. I've spoken to everyone I need to speak to. I need to just get on with the business of birthing now and just kind of leave me alone. Um, and that can be really powerful, particularly if it's a decision that um, goes against the grain, you know? Yeah, I think the important point there is that it has to be premeditated to some extent because making a decision that goes against the grain, goes against the policy in labor can feel very frightening for a woman. Absolutely. And the language that is used um, can be really scary. And, you know, there's three magic words that, that will make any woman do anything really, which is risk to baby. You know, they're, they're magic, magic words that cause the most, the strongest of women to just lay down and give up their entire body for their children, you know? So it, it doesn't take much for that suggestion to, to seep in, I think, when you're in that state. And it's not what you need to be doing when you're laboring. You don't need to be doing those sort of big, scary decision-making if you can avoid it you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it really, it really does help to be informed beforehand. So you know what's going to happen. What yeah. are the procedures in the hospital or the place that you're giving birth? So getting familiar yeah. with all those protocols is essential. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's okay. I guess when I get start, when I start talking about birth plans, I always get a bit worried that someone will get really overwhelmed and just say that is just a lot of work. And I'm never going to know enough or I don't really want to know that much. And I think there's sometimes a bit of fear in taking responsibility for those decisions as well. Like, what do I know kind of thing? Yeah. Um, am, I, am I the expert on this on this <laughs> business of birth? <laughs> right. But, you know, no one's ever going to love your baby as much as you are. No one's going to care about your baby as much as you do. And at the end of the day, no one's raising your baby. And you have to walk out of that hospital with your baby and um, mother it <laughs> forever. <Yeah. laughs> no pressure. <laughs> you know, no. So, you know, I guess it's it's a really tricky thing to start to overcome, but that's I think sometimes the work of pregnancy in some ways is to, to come to grips with the fact that, that you make these decisions and whether you decide to give that over to someone else or be involved in it, it's still your decision to make, which I – yeah, I respect that that's really hard, mm. <laughs> having gone through that process of having babies, and, and it is hard. Um, but even if you don't want to, you know, do the whole kit and caboodle, think about every single thing, you know, I really encourage women to spend a little bit of time at least getting to know what what's kind of normal for the person that's looking after them. You know, when people say, oh, I want to go with the flow uh, <laughs> and just see what happens. Um, I could almost guarantee you um, if you know what normally happens for the person looking after you, that would probably be what normally happens for you. So, you know, if you're going with the flow, you're really just going with someone else's flow. 
Um, and if that matches your ideal of, you know, a perfect experience of birthing, then go right ahead. But if it's very different to what you envision, then I would be, yeah, thinking a little bit more about it. Mm, yeah. I sort of have a feeling that, uh, and I think you said it, that you do like birth plans essentially. Yeah. And you can find them helpful if they're <laughs> if they're done. <laughs> um, I love them. I just love working with women who, who want to talk about what they want. I just think that, and if that's the tool that works for you to be able to be really confident in your decisions, then I love them. Yeah. Great. And how... Do you think, do you have an insight to your colleagues or the doctors? Does everyone love them? No. <laughs> I think no because, you know, any time you're in a really big system, um, which, you know, I work in a public hospital, it's a big system, if you're causing that system to hold up, and um, take time, <laughs> which is this is what happens when you're involved in decision-making. It takes time because you have to talk and think and process and come back to it. and um, That's disruptive. And I guess when you're busy and working as hard as my amazing colleagues do, that, that can be very overwhelming. But I think that's really just in the moment. The, almost all the people that I've worked with really essentially are in the business because they care about women. And they want them to have really good experiences. It's sometimes our idea of what is a good experience and the woman's idea of what is a good experience can be very different. And that can feel really, um, I guess, stressful when you're trying to meet those those two needs. But I think at the end of the day, it's okay if you take time. <laughs> it's okay if you're disruptive because we do this every day, but you don't. So take our time. That's okay. <laughs> Great. I think that's a good message to put out there. <laughs> it's about you, right? Like, I mean, it really is the time that you get to make it all about you. <laughs> like, yeah. that's it, right? Absolutely. I agree. I so agree. <laughs> yeah. So for the woman who sort of is afraid or sort of on the side of being a little bit intimidated by the whole process, which is totally fair enough. Yeah. Um, and chooses not to write a birth plan because she's afraid that she's setting herself up for failure if it doesn't go according to plan. What would you say to that woman? Well, I would say that what is failure? What is that? What is, I, I would explore that, that kind of idea is what is she considering failing? So you can't fail at giving birth. You win because you've had a baby. <laughs> That's, you've won <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> but, but I mean, the idea that if if you don't get your the needs met, that it's somehow more disappointing. I think that most women, if they take the time to be involved in their decision-making, it doesn't mean that you're going to, like you're saying, get that wish list. But hopefully what it means is that when the plan changes, if the plan changes, that you're you're involved in that decision-making and that you're conscious and that you're saying, okay, this isn't what I thought was going to happen, but the people around me care about me and they've spoken to me about this situation and I understand what's, what's happening. I might not like it. It might not be what I came here for, but I don't feel like people are doing things to me. Very often I'll be with women you know, going towards cesarean sections when they weren't expected. So they've come into labor and, you know, something's happened and they've ended up going to theaters and having a baby born by cesarean section. And there's this thing that happens where 
everybody's scrambling and it can be very busy and you can suddenly be surrounded by 15 people or 10 people that you don't really know who are all talking around you and you don't really understand what's happening and that's really overwhelming whereas if you have had the time I guess to think about it it might not be that you can change the outcome necessarily but you can be you know know what's happening and, and feel like you're in that and I think that for some women that can really decrease the ongoing trauma for an event like that. You know, it's not always about what's happening in the moment. It's about how we process it and move on from it and integrate that into our life, you know, going forward. Yeah, and I think going back to what you said earlier, which I think puts such a beautiful spin on what actually a birth plan plan can be for both the woman and her caregivers, is maybe don't use it as the menu, as you said. Don't Let's not use it as this is the outcome I want, but more as a processing tool, which I think really yeah. changes the whole perspective of of being, of a birth plan setting you up for a failure. So I think yeah. that changes everything. Yeah, when women are really in their power and able to be involved in what, what's going on around them, I mean, it doesn't, yeah, like, yeah, it doesn't mean that they're going to get the dream that they thought, but um, But at the end of the day, they can come out, you know, stronger and, and tougher for it, you know, and, and have a really positive experience as a mother, which I guess is where we, where we really want to, we want to birth matters. I 100% believe birth matters, but everything afterwards is the stuff that you have to live with as well, you know. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure you will agree, but in cases where I've been at births, knowing what the wish of the woman was in regards to the type of birth that she wanted and when it hasn't gone exactly according to her wishes. Mm. I have seen that when the changes that has happened during the birth, when they have been done in a caring, in an informative way, whether she's still been able to make decisions or have a say during the process, yeah. she has still on the other side with her baby in her arms been ecstatic and so yeah. happy and so in love and so yeah. proud of herself, despite things not going to exactly the plan that she had hoped because she had done the planning, because she was informed and she was able to have the necessary conversations and decision making in that yeah. final stage. And that I think is crucial to understand that then she doesn't care about the birth plan. She just cared about the process and that yeah. she was involved and informed. That's absolutely right. And I think, you know, even think, hearing you speak about it like that, I think maybe that that's the two kind of main ways that birth plan work. On, on the one hand, it's really making sure the woman's involved in her decision-making. But I guess um, on the other hand, knowing that we are most women birthing in a big system and a big system that, you know, most medical people know isn't perfect it's not working the best it could do you know we've got about one in four women having an induction and of the remaining women we've got about another 50 having their labors sped up so quarter of women get their labor started artificially and out of you know about up to three quarters of women are either having them started or sped up i mean that's insane 75 or 73 excuse me of women in this country do not need that level of assistance to have a baby. It's not, that's not, no one thinks that that's normal. Mm. No, no one thinks it's normal. <laughs> But this is, this is the reality right now. And we know that, you know, when she start on that train, that kind of cascade of intervention, um, we know what's down the other end of that, you know. Um, and that's not just, unfortunately, cesarean section, but that sometimes is delaying breastfeeding, those sorts of feelings and experiences going around that. 
you know, baby's health, mum's health, you know, long-term emotional health for mothers, and then, you know, onwards and onwards, and that's a bit doom and gloomy. But I guess that that's kind of that. I see that's kind of the flip side of the birth plan is is just going into it with your eyes open as well and kind of going, well, if the hospital that I'm birthing at has a 50% cesarean section rate, what am I walking into? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I've got a one in two chance of having a cesarean section. A well and healthy woman, a one in two chance of having a surgical birth. And if that's your decision and you're making that with your eyes wide open, power to you, like really, really. But if you're someone who's walking into that space and thinking, cool, I'm here, I'm just going to have a baby, we'll see what happens, and then you end up on the other side of it with your baby in your arms and you're going, what the heck just happened? I came in to have my baby, I came in for an induction, and here I am three days later and I just, what the heck just was done to me? And I think, I guess I've seen that side of things as well to be negative for the <laughs> yeah, but it's show. important to know. <laughs> yeah, but it is. And I, I think those women I feel for because it's like not that they could have necessarily done anything to stop it. The cases are so individualized. But as a as a large group of women, as a cohort of women having babies in this country, um, we know that that's not all necessary. We know that not every single one of those women needed it. Individually, I couldn't, you know. But as a group, we know that it's it's happening more often than it has to. And so if you would like to avoid that you can think about some ways to um to I guess minimize the chances of that happening you know and like you're saying if you're involved in the process and it goes that way you don't have this sense of what the heck just happened you go okay I understand what happened I know why I'm here right now um you know we hear really commonly women say oh they never told me this could happen it's like well there's a thousand different things that could happen yeah it's endless <laughs> it really we try but you know We'd be in childbirth classes forever and ever. But, um, but yeah, you can definitely, I guess, be savvy. It's just about being savvy, isn't it, going into it with your eyes a bit, a bit open. Generally speaking, um, private hospitals have about a 40% cesarean section rate across Australia and public hospitals have about, I think, 30 yeah, know, that's what I've read as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and they might vary from place to place um, and from practitioner to practitioner. So you might go into a um, private hospital with a doctor who has a lower cesarean section rate, maybe 40%, or you might go into a hospital with a doctor who has a 80% cesarean section rate. Um, and that's only one outcome to look at. I'm sure there's a thousand other things you can ask about and talk about. And it's okay to ask those questions as well. So publicly, for sure, you can you can find a lot more information out there in the ether. But privately, you might not see the individual statistics published. But it's totally fine to ask them that because it's a service and you want to know what you're getting for your money. And it's really reasonable for them to share that information with you. And they should be auditing themselves. I try and audit myself. Everyone kind of looks over their stats every now and then and says, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So don't be afraid to dive in and ask those questions as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're probably doing other things in your life where you're hiring someone to be giving you a service. You probably research them a little bit. So it, it, it goes the same for birth is often what I say. You, you're, you know, you want to really understand who's there at your delivery I always think it's interesting how people choose their care providers too like public private wherever like how do you choose the person who looks after you maybe you've had a friend who's gone there and that's how they had a baby and they'll go oh yeah they were fantastic 
But I'm always really interested, like, what what is fantastic? <laughs> this is totally mm. off topic. But I'm always, like, really fascinated by it because I know for myself, what did I think? I thought birth was scary. I thought it was painful. I thought it was one day that I had to get through. And, you know, that, that was kind of the expectations I held for, for this experience. And if that had been what I had um, received or experienced in birth, I would have felt like, great, I'm alive. <laughs> Only, you know, and so if someone's had that experience and they tell their friend, oh, go to that person, they're, they're really nice, had this crap experience, but they're a really nice person. Um, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I just find it interesting, what, like, what are, what are our expectations of birth? Um, are we expecting enough from it? Um, you know, and if we're lucky enough to have a really – really positive experience. Um, what is it about it that made it really positive? Mm. Um, yeah, I'm always a bit fascinated by that. What I hear a lot is that women fall pregnant and the woman or the couple will make very rushed decisions because it's such an emotional time and it's, it can feel like such a turmoil time where you have to get to grips with the fact that you're pregnant and your life is changing and all the decisions to make. So you just sometimes make a very rushed decision. Maybe it's yeah. just, oh, whatever hospital is available or whatever obstetrician is available or, and they don't actually look into it until they feel it is too late. I hear that quite often. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think what happens is in the beginning, our needs are very different to maybe where they are in the end of our pregnancies as well. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, we, oh, I think a lot of women, we just want to know that everything's okay. Baby's okay. I'm okay. You know, there's a lot of, kind of fear about is this going to stay, am I going to stay pregnant, like, you know, all that kind of early kind of fearful stuff. So we want people really watching us closely, I think, sometimes. Um, and then as we go on as well, we start to learn more and think, oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that as an option, I think, with private obstetric fees as well. And then you kind of feel like you can't change because you've paid all this money and, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's very true. In rounding up, I wanted to see if you could summarize the three top advice that you would give to women in regards to writing their birth plan or preparing um, for labor, because I guess that's what it really boils down to. What are the three top things that a woman, that you yeah. would advise a woman to focus on? Um, I guess choose your care provider um, carefully because nothing is going to have um, as big an impact on your birth outcomes as the person who looks after you. So, yeah, <laughs> that would be it. Um, and, you know, obviously don't be afraid to shop around, look around, see what see what's out there. Um, oh, yeah, I think my second, I guess, top tip is to just not be afraid to take up space, you know, to really just lean into this pregnancy and, and be difficult and take time and, you know, be disruptive that's okay. Like just own it and, and know that, that this is, this is your chance to ask all the questions and make sure you're heard. And, and that's okay. If you disrupt people in the process, I think we, every woman needs to give herself more permission to disrupt things, but that's just the, that's just the anarchist within me. And then, <laughs> um, I think the third tip, and, and this is actually, something I see a lot at is, is don't think of things in the binary way. So it's not either or it's not a natural birth or a cesarean section. It's not, um, midwives or doctors. It's not, you know, 
it's not all or nothing. I'd say most of the decisions that come up through pregnancy are in that gray zone and that's okay. It's okay to kind of not fit one perfect model or to always be doing one thing or always the other, you know, just stretch open those decisions and stretch open those thoughts and, um, and that's okay. Just live in the gray. Beautiful. I love those three pointers. I think they're brilliant. And if you do nothing else, you've done a lot of good with those three pointers. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, I know that on your website, yes. there is a birth plate template. Are you willing to share that with the Mumspire listeners? Oh, yes, with pleasure. Wonderful. I think that would be such a great resource for everyone listening and everyone who wants to go down this road of, of informing themselves and planning ahead and maybe focusing on it more as a time to educate and, and feel comfortable about the process ahead and be able yeah. to have those crucial conversations that sometimes are necessary to have in labor and before labor. So I would urge everyone to head over to your website. Can you remind everyone what your website is? It is jenniferhuzzy.com. And we'll have that in the notes as well. So everyone can have a look. Beautiful. Jennifer, I want to just say thank you so much. I absolutely love your passion. I love your work. And look, you and I can talk about birth <laughs> for days and sometimes it gets out of hand. So I will have to wrap <laughs> us up. But um, I just love talking birth with you and I love your perspective on it and you're empowering women every day. And I just think it's so beautiful. So thank goodness we have you. <laughs> thank you so much. I really, really had fun chatting like I always do. So thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, annamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mumspire a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.